This is Creators in Vietnam with Tuesi and Moni. We aim to inspire you on your journey by interviewing creative entrepreneurs across Vietnam who make a positive impact on their community and their own lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Fascinating is the word that keeps on popping into my mind since I've recorded this interview and throughout the whole editing process of this episode. It is fascinating to be able to meet such an incredible human in J.K. Hobson that has seemingly lived so many lives and yet each one of them so uniquely and authentically him, in all the ups and the many downs. In this episode, we cover, among many other things, his insights and wisdom on his active practice of Nishiren Buddhism, his creative upbringing in New York City as a latchkey kid, his music adventures, all the highs and all the lows, and how music brought a deeper meaning to his life and his spirituality. How nowadays education and comedy are his tool for compassionate connections with others. And so without further ado, I invite you to dive in this episode and discover our guest J.K. Hobson, and I hope that you'll find him just like we did, fascinating. Welcome back to another episode of Creators in Vietnam. This is me and Moni, as usual. How are you, Moni? Good. And uh, today we have a fantastic guest, actually. Um, his name is J.K. Hobson. Uh, J.K., how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. I'm going to read your introduction, Okay. Uh, your uh, bio, I, I would say, and then, uh, and then we'll go into all the questions. So, J.K. Hobson hails from New York City, where he dove headlong into the music scene in the 80s and 90s. So, that gives a little bit of a gauge of how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> I was two years old when I started playing in bands. In I had 80s. a rattle. <laughs> <laughs> He first caught the traveling bug upon joining Crisis. Uh, Crisis was a prominent yeah. band in the New York City underground scene. What type of music was it? It was like hardcore and metal. All right. Like people say metalcore, but metal what people core. know is metalcore now. It's is a little bit different. Core. This is like so heavy, heavy ass music. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so after moving to Los Angeles, releasing an album with the band and years of touring, JK began more academic pursuits and in 2016 was awarded a Fulbright scholarship for teaching English. The Fulbright ETA program brought him to the Mekong Delta city of Mita. Mita? Mita. Mita. Okay. Yeah. You're saying this better than me. <laughs> Where he spent an academic year before moving to Saigon. Since moving to Saigon, JK co founded comedy collective Saigon Funny People, founded Asia Out Loud, and has performed across the world and was a finalist in the 2018 Vietnam comedy competition. There's a mm -hmm. lot to, uh, to unpack there. Yeah. Can you read it all? I will read it all. <laughs> I feel all of it is super important. Right. <laughs> so sometimes political and sometimes irreverent. That's your style of mm -hmm. comedy. Yeah. Um, he's open for international co stand-up comedians, but you also guest hosted for VTV4's Vietnam Discovery. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. You're also like in the media business. Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> Not as much as some people, but yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you were the first guest on our uh, very good friend Neil podcast, Seven Million Bike. That's and right. Also one of our former guests, the Kimidos. And they're also, also competitors. Also the most listened to guest on Neil's <laughs> podcast, which I always like to remind him. <laughs> yes, he's listening. Hi, Neil. <laughs> Shout out to Neil and uh, and because you were the first episode, you were the most listened. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's that's what you put. It. Yeah, exactly. People had the most time to listen to me. Yeah, yeah. that's what I always say. Then Neil's like, "No, it's something else." That's my terrible Scottish impression. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2019, wait, there is no part about Buddhism here. But oh, really, yeah, 
do you want to really read the whole thing? Like, I mean, we already get the, the story that it's JK a, is very it's, interesting. It's a long ass story. Yes. Yeah, so you, you have you have different podcasts too. You've been very very active in the content uh, creation world. Uh, you do comedy, and uh, it's not part of the bio here, but you're a fervent Buddhist. Is yeah, that how you would say fervent. That? How do you be a fervent Buddhist? Like, <laughs> you're we don't blow Buddhist. stuff up like some people. You know what I mean? So fervent, like I'm really at peace you all the time. Uh, <laughs> intense Buddhist. <laughs> um, kind of, I guess. Intense. Well, I mean, the Buddhism I practice, it, it's an active practice. So mm -hmm. I chant yeah. as opposed to meditation. It was funny, on the way up here, I just told you there's there's a monk. I guess, does he live downstairs from here? Yeah, he has the cafe downstairs. Yeah, he has the cafe yeah, downstairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I walked in. And he was like, oh, I've been waiting for you a long time. And I was like, this doesn't look like the content creators. <laughs> like he's involved with them. And then we talked for a while about Buddhism. That's what Buddhists do when we meet each other, we like check yeah. each other's levels. Like, where are you at? What do you, what, what do, you do? And you also feel each other's vibe. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so, and so we were talking about the differences between passive and active practices so i chant nam yoho renge kyo in the mornings and evenings mm. and i've been doing it for almost 13 years so yeah i'm pretty dedicated although to be honest over the years i've had periods where my practice has like dipped mm. um and practices where it's really strong and since lockdown it's been really strong you know i've been getting yeah. a lot of benefit from it yeah. so yeah fervent dedicated You know, it's a part of my daily life and yeah. it's a part of my schema and the way that I view the yeah. world and the way that I process, you know, emotions and, and things that happen in life. You know, part of the reason that we practice is so we can attain the life state of a Buddha. It's not just like the Buddha's. It's not like Jesus where you're like, hey, Jesus, help me. <laughs> you know, can you intervene in my life? Like we know that, you know, the things that we experience are a reflection of our life state. Mm -hmm. So we want to have a better life state, the life yeah. state of a Buddha, which Buddhist practice should be, I think, in, in Nietzschean Buddhist practice. It's to attain that life state. And from that point of view, we can navigate life's yeah. difficulties a lot easier. So it's not just about like, You know, I'm on a because I've studied meditation, like Zen meditation uh, at a wow. monastery and just been at the top of this beautiful monastery. And it's so peaceful and meditate for four hours a day and then look over the edge of the pagoda at the mountains and the lake. And it's just oh. so pristine and just felt so at peace. And then my next thought is, well, yeah, duh. I feel I mean, like in the middle of nowhere, of course, it's peaceful. Like, yeah. how do I feel at peace when I'm dealing with like the trials of my life and doing comedy and dealing with people and teaching and, you know, emotions and relationships, you know, how do I come at it with that, with that peace and with the philosophy that makes me know that all these are a reflection of my life. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious that how you regulate your emotions through chanting. So I, I, I just want to try to kind of picture how, how does it work like when you chant and you have, let's say, at the moment, intense emotions about something, how the chanting actually helps you to, to realize what the emotion is about. And I guess it's also have like, this kind of cleansing mm. effect. Mm. So, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking about a specific issue. It's one thing is knowing that we are responsible for yeah. our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There are things that happen outside of us right yeah. and there's people because people are going to be assholes mm -hmm. all right yeah. yeah which is like you know that's i'm just like kind of like creating some levity right mm -hmm. is that 
there's going to be difficult, but really we're responsible. You know, it's like they say, the way that people treat us is their karma. The yeah. way that we respond is ours. True. Right? Yes. So I'm thinking of a specific example where I was let go from a job. Mm-hmm. Unfairly, I thought. And it was not at a good time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was panicked. Like, what am I? Like, I'm going to be in real trouble. And mm-hmm. so I went to my Gohan son. I chant to this, uh, it's a scroll that was originally inscribed by this Japanese monk named Nichiren Daishonin in the 13th century. And I chanted for an hour. And by the end of it, I knew this is exactly what was supposed to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And not, not only was I responsible for it, even though it seemed unfair on the surface, but it's a reflection of, of my life. Like everything that we're experiencing, it's caused by something we've thought, done or said in the past. Like this is not nothing happens by accident. So yeah. for that reason, it's my responsibility to, to get my way out of it. Yeah. So by the end of it, by the time I got up, I knew not only did I know that it's what was supposed to happen. But I knew what I needed to do next. I knew what I needed to take action with next, which is another reason we chant. So that when we're not chanting, we're taking the most wise action in our lives. And so I made that decision. And had that not happened, Mm -hmm. I would not be here talking to you. Like so many things that have happened in my life, including moving to Vietnam, Mm -hmm. including getting the Fulbright becoming a stand-up comic, like none of that would have happened. I still would have been doing that job. And that was like 11 years ago. Oh. Yeah. 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 All right. So that happened, but that's happened more recently, but we can get into that or not. (laughs) That's, that's happened quite, um, (laughs) that's happening. That's, that's a great way to open the conversation. um, Buddhism. It seems that you're, um, you're practicing a Japanese style Buddhism. Is that right? So Nichiren Buddhism. Nichiren Buddhism. Yeah. Nichiren Buddhism was first propagated Mm -hmm. by a Japanese monk named Nichiren Daishonin in 13th century Japan. Uh His teaching comes from the Lotus Sutra, which is one of the Buddha's final teachings. Okay. The Lotus Sutra was the first sutra to teach that women, women had the equal potential for enlightenment as Mm men before that. They'd say, oh, women have to be reborn like a thousand times and then then you can be a man. And then if you're lucky enough to become a man, then, you know, and in that sutra and that sutra, the Buddha was like, that's actually not true. Like everyone has the potential for enlightenment in this lifetime, Mm -hmm. which sounds like a no brainer. But at that time in, you know. In India, which was like a caste system, yeah. there's all this hierarchy, you know, these hierarchies that existed. It was super revolutionary. Yeah. Um, and in that sutra, he revealed that his enlightenment was attained like a very long time ago, like before <laughs> his lifetime, and that everyone has the a Buddha nature, everyone has the potential yeah. for enlightenment. So that was the Buddha's teaching. And then a bunch of years later, like 1700 years later, uh, Nichiren Daishonin discovered this sutra, this, the Lotus Sutra, and realized it was like the core of the Buddhist teachings and began propagating the chanting of the name of the Lotus Sutra. Nam means devotion. Myoho Renge Kyo is like the name of the Lotus Sutra in, mm-hmm. in Japanese. Myoho means mystic law. Renge means lotus flower, which is yeah. symbolic for cause and effect. And Kyo means sound or teaching. So when you say Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, you're saying, I give devotion to the mystic law of cause and effect through sound that's very good oh, wow. is there is there a version like this in vietnamese or did you look into that there is there are a lot of 
Vietnamese mantras. Uh-huh. And I know that, uh, like, Thich Nhat Hanh, who just, he just passed away yeah. recently. I know that he has a, a book about the Lotus Sutra. And, you know, the Lotus Sutra is a very revered teaching. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if, they, if there mm-hmm. is a, a Vietnamese version of the chant. That's interesting. You know, yeah. fortunately, the Japanese one seems to work for everybody so far. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Nam is also Sanskrit. So Nam is Sanskrit, like old mm-hmm. Indian. And then Myoho Renge Kyo yeah. is Japanese. I, my, yeah. my father was a Buddhist monk. Um, wow. So when I, I when I grew up, I had to, I was forced into a mantra, but it was a Pali, in, mm. in Pali, in the language. Mm. And so I gave up on those, on those things because mm. it was more of a reaction against my father. Yeah. But, but listening, you saying those things, I, I've re-included meditation not, not a long time ago, like two, three years ago, but it's interesting. Mm. Super yeah. interesting. That's a shame when religion is used to like punish, mm-hmm. you know, or, or when it's, forced upon children against their will, which it usually is, because you know, whatever religion you grow up in is generally the religion you're, you're supposed to pride. Because I was very lucky because I wasn't really raised in a religious household. Uh, I was baptized when I was 12, like just in case this is real, you know what I mean? It's like, let's get it, let's get him a chance, let's get him in the door, you know? But I was raised with a lot of freedom. I asked my mom when I was a kid if there was a God, I asked her when I was like eight if there was a God. She said, I think so, but I don't know. You got to find out for yourself, so... So, yeah, but yeah, some of this stuff, people have been doing it for thousands of years yeah. for a reason. You know? For sure, yeah. And it's yeah. not just a belief system. It's not just something you say like, oh, this is what I think. <laughs> it's a practice. It's, yeah, it's yeah, what yeah, you yeah. do and it's it's the way that you live your life. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's part of growing up too. Oh, it's, part, mm. it's part of like um, the, the whole process of like uh, spiritual maturity, I feel like, mm. you know, like it, it happens at any age anyway, mm. but it's, it's, a, it's a choice to make. And I, I feel mm. like the, the whole taking responsibility for your life is super important that's the i guess the first step to do like yeah. if not you like you know like if not even meditation sounds so ridiculous or like chanting is even more like oh fuck why would i do this mm-hmm. <laughs> but once you like you know you make that choice and it's not forced upon you then things and with consistency i think it does make and a lot of sense usually we always have something in our life that actually turns us toward meditation or yeah. any kind <laughs> of spirituality so I'm curious yeah. about how you got uh, into this. Maybe we start first, like, okay, how how was how your life started in, in New York, and then how <laughs> yes. how that led you to to yeah. to, to, to now to the here. I, okay, <laughs> if we if we can do this, actually, so let's start with your your upbringing because it, it for me it's, it really it helps me to like put you on the on, on the timeline. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah. So how was your childhood? What was your upbringing? I was born a poor black child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Steve Martin, one of the best lines in the movie The Jerk, if you've never seen I've it. I've never seen it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> well, I was born in Puerto Rico. I was born in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I see. Uh, my mother's Puerto Rican. My dad is American, black American of Jamaican descent, so Caribbean American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he spoke Spanish. He lived in San Juan. They met at a party. They seem to have liked each other at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And I was born there. And then when my dad's mom, my grandmother, passed away less than two years later, we moved to New York. We moved to Brooklyn, New York. I see. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in New York City. I moved around a lot. Like I lived in like kind of like a majority like Caribbean, African-American neighborhood for a while. 
Then I lived in like a Korean and white neighborhood for a while. Then I lived in like like a, like kind of like the hood for a while. Moved around a lot in New York, in New York City. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I got exposed to a lot of different kinds of people and you know ways of thinking. And then when I was in high school, I used to be really into comics. I used to really be into like. Marvel comics, especially like what they call uh, the golden age of comics, yeah, 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 which yeah. is like when the X-Men were super popular and they were like oh, making yeah. a lot of observations about like race and all kinds of social mm-hmm. issues. And I was super into it. And so I wanted to draw comics as a kid. Uh-huh. And so I went to a high school, the same high school that Stan Lee went to, which is sure. called the High School of Art and Design. Mm. And then through that process, I realized that I couldn't draw that well. <laughs> I wasn't as good at it as a lot of the people that I was going to school with. And, yeah, yeah. and at the same time, one of my friends, who is this Greek metalhead from Astoria, like the next neighbor over from me. So the thing is about this high school, it was like a specialized school. It was an art school. So mm-hmm. a lot of times kids will just go to the school that's near them. But in New York, if you have a New York City, if you have a specialized like interest or thing that you want to do, yeah. you can apply for the school that caters to that mm-hmm, need. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do art. Everybody in my school were into art. So you had people from all over the city doing art coming to this art school. So you had yeah. like black kids, white kids, Latino kids, Asian kids, oh, metalheads, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. gay kids. Like, mm-hmm. and it was all so. And I didn't know that was weird. You know what I mean? Because that's like the only high school experience I ever had. So years yeah. later, when people see my pictures of my friends from high school, they're like, damn, this is like really good. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I guess, you know. Mm. So like, what, what was the, the social environment that you grew up in? Like, and for you, it was a natural choice to just go to that high school. But what was your surrounding like? Like people didn't want to cast you into like some type of box or anything like this? Or which community did you belong <laughs> before joining that high school? Well, I mean, I mean, definitely the black community, because yeah. like I said, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> um, but I mean, so yeah, the- I don't know. I never, um, you know, like when I first came to the to, you know, the mainland states, I remember telling people that I was that I was uh, when I lived in Flushing. You know, that I'm obviously black, but I'm Puerto Rican also. And they'd be like, no, yeah. Like they thought I was like, <laughs> you know, because some some people like some people will like some. All right. There's like a lot of people that will accentuate like a kind of different part of their heritage because they think it sounds cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Sure. Like like a lot of white folks, you ask them, hey, what are you? You know, if you have the guts to ask a white person that, because I'm just white. What kind of answer is that? What yeah. kind of question is that? But some of them will be like, well, I'm... I have this. I have this joke. I call it uh, when you ask a, a liberal white person where they're from. I call it a countdown to Cherokee. Because <laughs> they'll be like, "Yo, well, I'm part Irish, I'm part Welsh, <laughs> part French, a quarter Cherokee, Native American," which could be true or not true. I make fun of white folks for that, but black people do that too. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like you know, oh, my grandmother, you know, was a, was a Cherokee Indian or whatever, or like you know, whatever. Um, I'm actually Puerto Rican. I was born in Puerto Rico. My mother's, you know, I'm black too, and I'm mm-hmm. not like I don't like run from either one of those. I embrace both. You know, but um, so there was like feeling like, okay, well, I'm different like because I'm not getting 100 percent like embraced, you know. And so when and then, you know, when I moved to like a white neighborhood, Uh I was, you know, I mean, I had friends had really good friends. But I was also I experienced like a lot of real 
racism. Yeah. Like that, like sometimes ended up being violent. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the seventies in New York. You know, I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. you, you know, I mean, it's like it's, a freshly colonized country. R- r- right. I mean, like, you're talking about the United States. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, like a colonial. Oh, country. sure. It's like, a, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, New York, this is for me the interesting part. Like when you are a, like a colonized country, everybody from different background, but you still have this strong yeah. racism against each other. Like, I mean, there's a lot of tension in New York. United States is it's a tense place, and it's like, and people try to act like, "Whoa, it was a long time ago." Like, I'm not that old. Like, (laughs) segregation didn't finish happening Uh until after I was born. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like in in the 70s that they were still figuring out, okay, let these kids go to school together. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're really gonna do that? So yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of tension, you know, and so so that happened. And so your parents were okay um, so with, with you going to that high school? <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> they, I got accepted into one of the top three academic high schools yeah, yeah. in New York City. And they wanted me to go to that school. Uh-huh. But like I said, you know, they let me make my choices. You know, like my Amazing choice of religion, parents. right? Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to you, mom and dad. And so I was like, now I want to go to art school. And they were like, oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> they weren't thrilled about it, you know, but that's yeah. what I want. And they're like, eh, it's your, you know, they've been somewhat supportive. There was no type of like family pressure to do something. Supportive. Or... Yes. It's just more like, and it's always been like this, where it's like ultimately the choice is my, and they're going to support eventually the mm-hmm. choice that I make, you know, but like they're like, when I moved to LA after I joined the band, which we'll get into, and I told my mom, I was like, yeah, I'm moving to Los Angeles. She was like, no, you're not. And I was like, <laughs> this isn't really a question. Mm-hmm. I'm just letting you know, you know, and there were tears, you know, but, uh, did you feel like you've, uh, you grew up in the very uh, Puerto Rican type of culture with the family? Was there a Puerto Rican culture in your family well yeah my mom's yeah. puerto rican so, you what's, know? What's, the, so what's the relationship with family in the in the puerto rican culture well i mean generally really tight-knit families you mm-hmm. know but we left puerto rico yeah. to live in the states so it's like pretty much my mom you know what i mean yeah and then we were like a very uh i mean i, I grew up an only child i have a half sister that was born after me mm-hmm. but like it was a very like i was pretty alone like a lot of the time especially after my parents got separated Mm -hmm. and divorced was like i spent like a lot of time but i'm like a latchkey kid have you heard of that that phrase a latchkey kid is like you're both of your parents at work you have a key for the apartment and you come home and you know maybe dip in there do your homework maybe and go out and and play with your friends so i so i spent a lot of time hanging out on the streets in New York, even as a, as a small child, you know? Wow. And then I would get home, you know, hopefully before my mom got home, who was going to work and putting herself through school to get a master's degree so she could make more money teaching, you know? So yeah, I was like, like kind of a loner. I'm like, I'm still like a social loner, yeah. you know? Yeah. They, now they say extroverted introvert, you know, but I'm somebody who, like knows how to be alone and functions for mm. a lot of my time, maybe not recently, alone. <laughs> uh, but I like I like hanging out. I like being social. It doesn't train me. Yeah. I yeah. just wonder like how you uh, 
like made your life choices i i really feel like when i i read your bio that you kind of like went along your feeling like oh i like comics so i'm gonna just go to an art school and then uh, try to do comics mm, doesn't work out maybe just do something else like let's go into music and how because like i feel like you're so artistic and then how you make your artistic choices i think that a lot of people will get bogged down with the question of like, what am I going to do yeah. for the rest of my life? <clears throat> and it's like, and, and they, they start asking you that when you're like 16 years old, True. you know, yeah. like I, I teach kids uh, global perspectives now an international school. And some of these kids have so much pressure yeah. to know exactly what they're going to do yeah. for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And they're 16. I love my students. But do you know how dumb you are when you're 16? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know yeah. how dumb I was when I was 16. If it's anything like that, you know. So my question has always been like, what am I going to do next? And what can I do like passionately and yeah. happily and sustainably for a while yeah. next? You know, and then and then do that. And so far, it's taken me on a pretty interesting journey. Did you <laughs> did you think like this when you joined that metal band? I mean, oh I well, I knew I, I knew I wanted. I knew yeah. that. I mean, I had done bands. So basically, I spent from the time I was about eighteen, I started playing in bands, playing guitar, yeah. drums, bass, singing. Um, so that was like my. That was I could go as far as to say even my identity, like more than anything yeah. else. Yeah, you know, which which is which comes with its own problems, but like just. You know, once I got into music, because I got into music in high school, mm -hmm. it was like very intense for me. Like my mm -hmm. feelings about music and playing it and listening to it and, and what it meant to me was like super. And it still is. It still is. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just not doing it now. But it's it's a huge part of what's made me who I am is is playing yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting to imagine you as a metalhead. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's because I'm did bald you, now. You, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask you, I'm wearing a shirt and tie <laughs> at this moment. But yeah, 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 I was really. I mean, I I started listening to metal in like the mid to late '80s uh -huh. when Metallica was like had their like most epic albums, mm. and that's some of the best rock music that's in in my opinion that's ever been great. I don't I don't like what they're doing now at all. <laughs> you know, I I, mean, I haven't listened to an album of theirs a new album of theirs in years, but that was like an intense time. They were, they were breaking a lot of ground and that really affected me. And then a lot of the music that was coming out, like from the streets of New York, like guitar driven, heavy music and, you know, Fugazi and bands from Canada, bands from all over the world were doing so many amazing things and taking so many risks. And I found that really inspirational. So I, I'm, I'm going to sound very ignorant for a second. Mm. I, and I'm sorry in advance, but For me, like metal music and like th that type of music is very angry music. Mm. Were you an angry person? Uh, was there an anger? I could have been. Yeah. I mean, would you I mean, I have I had like an intensity, but because yeah. I always had music, there was always a way to to process it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that intensity, like, where did it start? And I feel like that that's that there must have been an emotion or a feeling that you carried throughout your youth that mm. led you to that metal band. And, mm. and, I guess like never feeling like you were asking like what like where did I fit in? What was my community? Yeah. Like never really feeling like, you know, like I 
fit in anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I was, you know, into so that, certain yeah. stuff which wasn't cool for black folks, and you know, I look a certain way mm. is not cool for white folks, and it's still like I'm still black, <laughs> and I still enjoy being black. You know so what I mean? Maybe a frustration then, like fuck, leave me alone. <laughs> uh, well, well, I just, just want to do me. <laughs> I mean, and then there's just normal teenage stuff, yeah. like you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like girls that can't get laid. It's like you know, it's like all kinds of. I mean, the thing is. I think everybody has these emotions. Everybody has of this course, negativity, yeah. but most people don't process it yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or consider that that's something that has yeah. to be released. Yeah, and they yeah. go around and, you know, scream at people in traffic yeah, or they yeah. beat their kids or like yell or, you yeah, know, all true. kinds of unhealthy, yeah. you know, I'm using air quotes, coping mechanisms uh -huh, sure. that end up screwing them up and the people around them. Uh -huh. And then they end up raising or teaching screwed yeah. up kids, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. um, no, there was a, there was the perfect outlet for you to, I guess, to let out that something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and also way. just, but also like happiness can be very intense too. Yeah, for sure. You yeah. know, and and like realizing, you know, that you have a purpose, and you know, and and that you're put here to do this thing, and that can and it can look like like anger, but it's just it's just like extreme mm -hmm. intensity. Like when when I was playing with the band Crisis live on stage like that felt like more like myself uh -huh. than mm -hmm. i did in than i'm even allowed to be in regular society you can't like behave like that in real life you're gonna go to jail <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm so yeah so and most people don't get to do that I, yeah. I, I, i'm like what do normal people do like how do you you know oh, jesus yeah yeah Yeah. Is that a question that you've asked yourself a lot? Or yeah, like what? Yeah, what do like, normal, what, what do yeah. quote unquote normal people do? What What is a normal person? Yeah, what? And it's yeah. no such thing, you know. But I think the the solution for so many people ends up being what I call dying inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I got to do sometimes too. Like don't like you know sometimes, sometimes sometimes I get really like you know I'll be teaching a class and some kid will do something like outrageous that I just gotta like I just. Gotta, It's called dying inside. You just got to kind of clutch like, oh, yeah. you can't react the way. You just got to chill, you know, and then take another breath. I mean, it's kind of a joke to call it that. But I think a lot of people end up doing that a lot or like quieting that voice that tells them like, maybe I'm supposed to do something else. You know what I mean? Because it's not convenient. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, like you, no, you got this thing you're supposed to do. This is normal. This is a path. And people feel so dissatisfied, yeah. you know, and are encouraged and even rewarded for doing that. You know, so yeah. so it's got to be hard. It's, it seems it seems that at a very young age, since you're like a, an only child, you've got very uh, accustomed to your inner dialogue. You, mm. you you speak to yourself very easily. I think you hmm. like also like I, I like that you are expressing yourself. Like even at that young age, like yeah, this is what I want to do, and I'm just like, gonna do it. And mm. then mm. what I think what you are saying when we die inside, it's just like we have a bit of itch, but we kind mm. of like no, that's uh, we should not do it mm. because this sounds stupid. Like mm -hmm. who am I to to be in a rock band? Like mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and all those kind of dialogues inside that just kind of yeah. stop you to do anything that is enjoyable that is fun mm -hmm. that is you yeah and, and i have that too i mean i experience it all the time <laughs> you know? it's, it's yeah. not like you get to a point of like well i'm i'm glad those negative voices in my head are gone and it's all <laughs> positivity from yeah. now on okay it's all it's a it's a never-ending struggle yeah. 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 Feel, no but i feel like you're, you're doing very well at least like to because you've made choices that We're like, yeah, fuck, fuck what other people are thinking. I'll talk to myself and I'll choose what I think is the best for me. Yeah, like how, and, how yeah. you pass it uh, through. Like, let's say you have an idea of a band. I don't know if 
did it come from you, the band itself, or you just joined on another band? So how mm. how that conversation went inside your head? Like? Well, uh, the thing is, when you're young, like you, like I, or when I was, I really operated off of like impulse, like kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. And so music was like very kinetic and, and natural for me. Mm-hmm. I grew up in kind of a musical household, you know, so, so. I mean, I just joined like the first band that I was ever like involved with the creation of the the concept and everything. It was just, you know, two guys that, that I met through my girlfriend at the time. And we got along and we started out like playing like Metallica covers. And then slowly we started writing our own stuff. And then and then we had a singer. And when the singer left... It was kind of like, okay, we need to create our identity. We had a musical identity, but we didn't have like a trip, like in terms of like a trip, like a a, a, a core like value system, mm-hmm. like an identity, you know, I felt. So when I started singing for the band, it was like, let me figure out what it is that I'm trying to say with this music. Because we had like a very specific, it was like psychedelic, hardcore slash oh, wow. metal. Yeah, it was really. Very trippy. Right. And and nobody was really doing that at the time. Later on, there'd be bands like Tool. And when I heard Tool, I was like, oh, snap, this is what we were trying to do. Obviously, like better than what we were trying to do. But it was it was pretty original. You know, we would like jam like we would improvise on stage even, you know, which a lot of metal bands don't do that. So um, so that was but that was like a process. Um, And then but that forced me to become that was the first time that I started becoming really introspective because that was all impulse. And then eventually, you know, like jamming with the band and improvising and listening to that stuff made me start to consider even spirituality. Like we would have things that happen, like we were improvising Mm -hmm. and I'd record all the jams Mm -hmm. and then we would all change parts at the same time. Like, Like the drummer, the bass player and I would all go from playing one part to playing something totally different that we hadn't planned and I would listen to the tapes the next day. I'd be like, what the hell? Like, how did we do that? Like, I would listen to the parts over and over again. There's mm-hmm. nothing that indicated that we would make that change. So that's when I started realizing there's something else going on. There's something that connected us. And there's yeah. something that connects everything in reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to find out what that was. So I started, like, sort of venturing into spirituality at that point. How old Which were became you? more of a driving force. At that time, I was about... 20 how long did the band last that band went from the time that's not crisis that band from went like from i guess about three or four years yeah and i I must ask this but was there any substances (laughs) in the beginning no in the beginning no i didn't even drink yeah Yeah. also those jam was like pure connection and so in the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> and, even some and, weed. Yeah, and they were a little, they were a little older than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other two guys, they were like two years older than me. So they were always trying to get me to like smoke weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and my parents smoked weed when I was a kid. So sorry to blow up your spot, mom. <laughs> so it was like, it wasn't a big deal. It's like, ah, that's yeah, just what my parents used to do, you know? But then at some point we, we were, we had a rehearsal space in this uh-huh. building <laughs> with a bunch of other bands yeah. who were also friends. It was, such an amazing space, man. We had like different kinds of bands that were playing like rock-ish kind of music, but one of them was like a grunge band. One of them was like like crazy industrial band, and there was us who were like something in between or whatever. And we all had our own separate identities, hardcore bands, but we were all friends. And so this 
band, they were called Black Medicine. They were like a grunge kind of psychedelic band. They were kind of influential for me. And hanging out with them, actually all of them were like, oh, you got to try mushrooms. You got to try mushrooms. Mm, (laughs) So I did mushrooms first. Yeah. Mm, Good choice. That that shit changes you. Yeah. Yeah. And then I tried acid. Oh. That, that changes you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I tried other like like yeah. mescaline, which is another psychedelic, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I started smoking weed. Uh-huh. And then I started drinking. So I went like the opposite, you know. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. that's yeah. where enlightenment uh, came in. <laughs> kind of, you know, because my first trip, it was it just felt like I was had been wearing sunglasses my whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The mushroom yeah. does that. Yeah. The first trip on mushrooms is just yeah. Yeah. And it was like somebody took the sunglasses off and I was like, wow, everything is so vibrant. And then there was like a voice in me like, no, it's always like this. <laughs> You're just seeing it for the first time. And then it's like, what? Yeah. So that really that really changed me, like trying to make sense of what happens on those trips, mm-hmm. I think is what we're supposed to do, you know, because like I never like you, you would never do. I would never think of doing mushrooms like like five days in a row or something like that. Cause you have to like really process it, you know? So that definitely, you know, started me down that way of thinking to even what would later become practicing Buddhism. Like I understand what was the thing inside me that was like kind of reaching out to give me like these very intense realizations at a time when I didn't care about any of that stuff before that. I promise you, I never thought about spirituality I was just like, I just like the way this guitar sounds when I do this, you know? And then eventually, but that was a real eye opener. There is yeah. there is a point where I think like it's it's all like um I, and I, I feel like those connections is like spirituality is those is chemical imbalance sometimes. Like uh mm. when you're on the like playing and it's you're jamming, the dopa- mm. dopamine dopamine is so high that you start being connected to you know, you see the other side, <laughs> yeah. and then when like when you're so like you know, it's ecstasy, like yeah. in a way where like so there is very little things when you are so in in intense emotions like this and feelings that maybe you can be against the word spirituality, but you can't deny that there is something else there also, that you're feeling, like you're connected to. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I'm also kind of practicing now connecting like art with spirituality because at the end of the day art is about really when you create you let go of the ego that's how you create that's the only way to create if you create from the ego point of view it's like no no you're not gonna get very far and what i'm hearing like also yeah i took once acid as well and then then that, that kind of amazing feeling when you just ripped off from your ego you experience everything so intensely and then you realize like yeah that's how life should be that's how you should experience life and not with all those thoughts and everything, and and it's really nice to hear from you how you you connected to it through through music because the music that you created also jamming with others is probably because you allowed yourself to experience to flow mm, and yeah. and then really just cut out everything that is egoistic at that moment to yeah to make art yeah because I mean if you do that the stuff writes itself exactly you know it's like I. I remember specific times, you know, writing music or writing lyrics. Like one time I was, uh, so after the band, which we haven't gotten to, but I had this other band called Ace of Sabres that I was singing and playing guitar for. And my friend Josh was playing drums and we recorded the music for this band, but there were no lyrics for this specific song. 
like for months because like i was like from an egoistic mm. point of view my mm. other band had broken up had so much to prove it's like what am i going to say you know and so i got in my own way like a lot mm-hmm. and then one day josh and i had just finished a rehearsal and we had the recording done or we had like uh the music recorded and we went and had a beer somewhere and he was like you got to finish the lyrics you got to do the lyrics for that song like it's got to have melodies and so i had like a melody in my head but i didn't have any idea what i was going to talk about and i went home was a little buzzed and i was like i'm just going to write down just gibberish mm-hmm. that yeah. rhymes because i had this specific rhyme scheme that i liked but i had no idea what words to plug in there so i'm just going to write down whatever comes in my head blah, 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 blah. and i wrote it in like 25 minutes this thing that i had been like toiling over for months uh-huh. i was like yeah, 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 yeah. all right going, boom going to bed you know boom woke up the next morning i was like oh my god this is this is it it's written like it, it, this is <laughs> yeah. this does mean something like i knew exactly what it meant you know but had i tried to think about this song is going to be about this and it's going to it's going to have this kind mm. of impact there's no way you know so sometimes yeah. it's a matter of not you know, not thinking about it, not contriving and not like, you know, well, I learned this and I learned that. It's just a matter of being open and later, whatever it is that where this stuff comes yeah. from, come through you. Just That's be the nice. vehicle and then so, and it writes itself. So that was your said. third band. And no, so I was I've been in I've been in. I could, I, yeah, I, the, we won't. Let's not do that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've, been in, I've been at least like at least 10 but the, to the, a dozen bands. So the most intense and the most uh, the one where you grew the most was Crisis? Yeah, that was yeah. the most famous one. The most know? famous one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um, I, so after that last band I talked about broke up. Not the last band. The, mm. the psychedelic one. Um, anyway, I spent, I spent a bunch of years just being depressed. And just like struggling yeah. with my mental health and like, you know, all this stuff. And then I kind of like picked myself back up and I started a, a band. It was an all black hardcore band with some <laughs> friends of mine. But it was like sort of, I felt like my intensity, my dedication to it was just different from my friends. The uh-huh. singer left and we're best friends to this day. But he saw I was struggling with the rest of the band because I decided to take on the vocal duties. He was like, dude, just just find a, an established band. Just join an established band. Stop trying to start your own thing from the ground. That's so hard. And I was like, yeah, just join an established I'll just walk into Metallica's <laughs> studio. Hey, I'm going to be your new guitar player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, think about it. And then two weeks later, I saw an ad for, for this band that I was a fan of for years looking for a second guitar player. They had never had a second guitar player, and they were really? wanting right. to add one, so a new addition to go from a four-piece to a five-piece. And long story short, I joined that band Which in 1998. The universe okay. was sending you a sign. <laughs> yeah, it's always what you want but So they were already that. established. Uh, yeah. yeah, they had three so albums out already. Oh, I see, yeah. They had been, they, they were started in 1993, uh-huh. um, and then I was a fan of the band. Like, I would go watch them and think, wow. I should be in this band, which yeah. is something I would never say. I could go see Fugazi, Metallica, like whatever, and be like, okay, they're great. That's, you know, but with specifically with Crisis, which was, if I can explain a little further, they were kind of an international band. Mm-hmm. Well, like, so when I joined, there was me on guitar, the other guitar player, Abzal, is from Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jia Shuanwang was a Taiwanese bass player. Um, 
bunch of different drummers when I joined Joni, uh, Tony Costanza, rest in peace. And the singer's name was Karen. Uh, and she was like just short white girl, long dreadlocks who screamed like a banshee and then sang like Bjork. You know? Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we used to call her the Exorcister. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and that really appealed to me because like it just would be difficult. I have a friend who would go nameless. I mentioned him earlier that he was in like a hardcore band but with a bunch of white dudes. Yeah. And they went to Europe and you know, they had songs about like skinheads and stuff, like how cool it was, right? And then they're in Europe, like in front of some real motherfucking skinheads oh, shit. who are looking at him crazy and he and he and he couldn't handle it, you know. And I, so so no offense, but to anybody out there, but I would be really hesitant to go on tour in the South mm-hmm. or in Europe with a bunch of crazy ass white boys. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Cause you know, yeah. <laughs> Things get weird. You don't know if people can have your back or not. So yeah. something about I've never talked about this in the podcast before, but that whole thing and and that group of people were were sensitive, intelligent, creative, and just like each one a visionary in their own way. So for me to get invited to join was like huge, huge validation. Yeah, you know. So in that way, it was perfect. So then I joined the band. Did, did they ever tell you like why they, they they agreed to you? Like, was it for your personality or? or your they, they, they had they had a quota system in the hiring. A, <laughs> it's like we don't have a. It's, it's, it's an affirmative action clause in the in the, the, the contract. <laughs> um, that I so I was writing a lot of music in that time when I was yeah. like I told you like those lost years and I was really depressed. Yeah. So so I gave them so I met with Avzal. After they played one day, and we really got along, uh-huh. partly because we talked about music, and we we ne- we, ne- we never talked about metal. Uh-huh. You know, when we talked about music together, we talked about Pink Floyd and you know Neubauten, and it's like all this other kinds of stuff. And he he appreciated that about me. I think that uh-huh. I was approaching metal, but I had all these different influences and understood music, uh, and its influence like very abstractly. Yeah. And uh, but also like we just kind of clicked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so and oh, and then also I gave them a tape of the music that I had been working on, which to this day, I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it was like radio friendly or music that even most people would enjoy. But it was it was weird and cool, you yeah. know, in the way yeah. that I think really resonated with them. It was very original. You know, and and I think they liked so they, and they were just trying to figure out like how do how do we we got to get this guy to be normal though, like at least a little bit, you know. So I felt like they felt like they could work with me. And also what also what they did to as an audition, they gave me a tape of music they had just written, like just the music, no yeah, vocals, yeah, yeah. and asked me to write parts to go along with it. And they liked what I came up with. So oh, nice. Yeah. Can, can we can we listen to this music uh, somewhere? Your music? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah um, uh, Crisis is on Spotify. Uh, if you listen to the album "Like Sheep Led to Slaughter," that's yeah. the one that I'm on. They have a few, uh, two other records before that. Um, if you want to listen to Ace of Sabers, you can go to YouTube. Um, also, uh, Kolunji One is my uh, uh, Bandcamp. Not Bandcamp. Uh-huh. Is it Bandcamp? That's no, not Bandcamp. What's the other one? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll include the links, uh, but you can hear Ace of Sabers on uh, on 
I'm YouTube so curious as well. To, to go listen to it now. Yeah, also, the Angels yeah. Whispered Danger, which is like post-crisis. Do you, uh, coming to to modern days now for you is like, are you any in any way part of the underground music here in Vietnam, or are you interested in doing something with the music here in And Vietnam? And I'm also curious, like yeah. how how the musician became uh, an academic yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> suit tie teacher <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on the global perspectives. Yeah, I teach global perspectives. Yeah. Oh man. Huh? This is okay. We're, we're going. We're going hell along, and yeah, I don't yeah. mind. I got yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so, so the vamp. I'll give you the long story short. Band broke up. I got depressed again. Mm-hmm. I started making music. I started making like down tempo trip hop music, like on my computer using like yeah. just sampling sequencing software. I was like, I don't need a band. I can make music by myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I just realized. And then and I was working in the casino gaming industry, which I had been, but. The cool thing was, you know, so we moved to L.A. in 2000. I got into the casino gaming industry in 2001. But anytime we had a tour, I was like, I'm going to be gone for three months. You know, they'd be like, mm-hmm. OK, yeah, just because I was so good at my job. They were like, OK, you'll have a job when you get back. So it was like anytime I was working in this like very monotonous, soul sucking, not just sucking the souls of the people who work there. I'm talking about Everybody, yeah. all the regulars, they have no idea what's happening to them. If there are any gambling addicts out there, I have so much to share with you. What's going on with that situation? But it was like I realized I wasn't doing anything good yeah. by doing what I was doing. It was like being a drug dealer, literally like being a drug dealer. Because people who are gambling addicts are so compelled yeah. to destroy. I mean, and some people can handle it. And a lot of people cannot, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. people, I mean, there, there were very bad things that happened. I'll just, I, without even going into any details, I know of very bad things that happened uh, to people in, that were involved in that. And, uh, and I facilitated them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't like that, especially I started practicing Buddhism. And one of the tenets of Buddhism is never build your happiness on the misfortune of others. Yeah. 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 Probably teach you. <laughs> yeah in the face <laughs> yeah because that's exactly yes i was like okay so i decided to go back to school i started going to community college uh like taking like a class at a time yeah. my girlfriend at the time was like it's gonna take you forever you're never gonna graduate very supportive <laughs> uh, yeah i know right <laughs> she felt bad about that later apparently <laughs> and then the thing i was telling you earlier was that uh So I was like, how am I going to go to school and work at the same time? I'm working graveyard shift, you know, working from 10 at night to six in the morning and then waking up to go to school for a little bit. It's like, this is unsustainable, you know? And so then I was like chanting about it. Like, I really want to be able to go to full school full time. And then one day I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> and from, I, that from the casino. Yeah. yeah. And I was freaked out this is yeah. a story i told earlier yeah 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 and then when the yeah yeah well after i freaked out and i went yeah. and chanted for an hour i was like oh snap i'm go- going back to school full-time i don't know how i'm going to make it work but i'm going back to school full-time so i ended up doing that graduating from community college getting accepted into it's a uc riverside where like i applied for ucla didn't get in went to uc riverside and i was like a star on campus you know they like i, I my academic record was so good and i think i have Up until that point, I had an interesting story, and it was from there that I won the Fulbright scholarship. Uh-huh. And then when I won the Fulbright, I came here to Vietnam for a year, and supposedly. That, and that turned out? 
And that was in 2016. Uh, it's uh, been uh, six years. Yeah, almost six years. Almost yeah. six years. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Wait, wait. So, like, um, we're, can we go back to the chanting and the Buddhism? Like, in this, you you were introduced to uh, to uh, Buddhism during your depressed period. Uh, actually, so the original depressed period <laughs> when my first band broke up. Yeah. Uh, in that was like in the early 90s. I, I was really trying to connect these dots and I didn't find a belief system that could do that. So I like made up my own religion. Yeah. And then years later, when I found out about Buddhism, I was like, oh, this is the closest, this is closest to the thing that I already believed. Mm -hmm. In fact, yeah. it like way surpassed anything that I had ever, you know, considered, yeah. you know, and it also had a practice where my thing was just like kind of a belief. So, but then years later, at this time when I was back in community college after crisis broke up, I wasn't really depressed. In fact, I was like going out and partying a lot and running <laughs> away from my depression, like yeah. all kinds of like, yeah. again, like screwed up coping mechanisms, you know, but I started, I made friends with this young woman and she was Russian Orthodox. Mm. And Interesting. while we knew each other, she'd met this guy and... He was a Buddhist. He was a Nichiren Buddhist. And he introduced her to the practice. And she like really struggled because she's raised Russian Orthodox. And she was like, I don't know if I should be doing this because, you know, God's going to be mad at me. And I was like, <laughs> as, as somebody who's never really, you know, been in that bag, I was like, well, if there is a God, you know, he's, he wants for you to use your mind, you know. And if this is something that you feel like is, is helping you and has, it resonates with you somehow, I think you should give it a shot. So she did. And when she did, I noticed she started changing, like becoming like more wise and courageous and compassionate. I was like, what the hell? And then she was like, yeah, sometimes I chant like for two hours. And I was like, that's crazy. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then she took me to like a, a Buddhist gathering of the SGI, the Soka Gakkai International. And I saw the people there. Everybody looked so happy. And so encouraging and like really like like happy in a way that's not like and they, it wasn't like they were like oh you have to do this it was like most religions like organized religion you know yeah, i yeah. say with air quotes it's like oh we want you it's, it's you feel this real pulling or or this like kind of like arrogance like oh you're just getting here now i've been doing it. and it was none of that it was no pretense just really happy people who really felt like they wanted the best for me. And during that meeting, I also saw a video of Daisaku Ikeda, who's the president of the Soka Gakkai, uh, speaking. And just his, his, his life condition, like his, his presence, his sense of humor, his understanding of Buddhism and, and how we're supposed to apply it to life, just felt, just really resonated deeply with me. And I was like, I'm going to try this. So I started chanting and that was, that was definitely at least 13 years ago. 13 years wow. ago, yeah. When when you said like you got fired of a job, I thought like it's kind of like some very important high scale like uh, white collar job. It was important <laughs> for him. I mean, it was important for yeah, you, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no, I was working. I was I working think, casino, watching money gambling against. I mean, the thing is, like, I had to gamble against the customers. So part of the job is watching the money, watching the rules, but also watching the people and like mm -hmm. reading people. So, and also getting along with people. But, which is that like as a customer service right. thing you're doing customer service as you're taking people's money that's a weird 
that's a weird balance to you know yeah. to have to under, undertake. But uh, but no, I wasn't like no, I wasn't. But why were you so? Job. Why were you so upset about being fired? Was it just being fired from that? I didn't know what I was going to do, and I was going to oh, yeah, just yeah. get money. I see. You know what yeah. I mean? I but but on one hand, I wanted to leave. Yeah. I desperately wanted to leave, but I was too mm-hmm. scared. Like I was making like pretty good money for yeah. somebody who had a high school diploma. I'm making like it's like the thing where like you're making so much money you don't dare quit, I see. right? Yeah. But you also know you don't want to do it. But they, you know, but I was like stuck there, yeah. so I wanted to get out so bad. Would Would you consider the biggest change that you've had uh, when you started chanting from what JK was and what JK is now after the chanting? Well, it, you know, from chanting you get what you call conspicuous benefits. And inconspicuous benefits, right? Yeah. A conspicuous benefit is like something that you can see, something yeah. tangible. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, you know, was graduated at the top of my class. I was the student commencement speaker. I was the first student at my school to win the Fulbright scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like I did, like like all this stuff that you know you can put on a resume, yeah. right? So there's that stuff, like just being able to to undergo like that kind of life change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the inconspicuous benefits are the ways that your inner life changes, the way that you are able to connect with people, you know, the way that the capacity you have mm-hmm. for compassion and for happiness, you know, and that's, that's people feel it, but, but it's kind of intangible. Like, yeah. you know, the way that you're be able to believe in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I do stand-up comedy now, My girlfriend, she's always like, uh, yeah, but that's just, you know, like you have an advantage because you've been on stage before, you know, which, yes, is true, but it's very different. It's so different. From being in a band yeah, yeah, yeah. where you're like, okay, if this goes if this goes south, I can blame uh, the sound guy, I can blame the club, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the drummers hung over from last night, yeah. bass player got too high, he forgot a part, you know, I mean, there's all these other factors. And, and then even if, Things are going badly for the audience. If you're there with your friends, you're like, you know what? I'm getting, we enjoy this. You know, we've had shows where like hardly anybody showed up and we're just like, yo, we're going to fucking blow everybody out of the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like 10 people there and we just went nuts. Mm-hmm. And those 10 people were like, oh my God, I can't believe what we just saw. Like nobody was here and you guys brought it, you know? So there's so many ways you can turn it around. Yeah, yeah. If it's just you on stage... And nobody's having a good time. It's really hard to have a good time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bombing is not fun. Bombing is like for a lot of people, it's like one of the worst things that can happen. Yeah, um, we, we so it's th- kind of are kind of new to to stand up comedy. Then, like, how long has it been since you since you do stand up comedy? Uh, the first time I did stand up comedy was nine years ago. Ah, uh, so When it's I, like you are not a newbie completely. Well, I just did it once nine years ago. This is when I was in community college. Mm-hmm. I was taking an anthropology class. And as long story short, as a part of this anthropology class, I decided in my study of a subculture in L.A., I would study stand-up comedians. And as a part of that study, I had to engage in what's known as participant observation, oh, wow. which means doing the things that the, the observed mm-hmm. culture does. So I did stand-up comedy once. Uh, shout out to Henry Brown for putting me on stage. And then I did it again in 2014. A friend of mine was like, oh, you're funny. I want to put together a stand-up comedy show. You want to do it? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Then I came to Vietnam and I started doing it regularly in 2017. All right. Yeah. Wow, nice. How was, the, uh, how was the scene in Vietnam when you, uh, when you joined in 2017? Um, there, were, there were 
it was a group of different kinds of people. It's mostly white expats, mm -hmm. men talking about, you know, man, Vietnam is so weird. And, you know, and, <laughs> and teaching. And I really wanted to come at it from a, a different approach. So, you know, there was, there was a few comedians that I really appreciated their presence and their perspective. Um, Angie the Diva, we did our first show here. Uh, Vumin Tu, uh, this guy, Fu, who the four of us started uh, Saigon Funny People together, which was like a comedy collective that Angie went on to do like show bookings and stuff with. This woman, Share Love, We Lay, who is now, he's huge in yeah, Saigon yeah. Deu. Like uh -huh. we started doing stand up comedy together like at that time. Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, I saw him once. He he was doing a roast. Oh, he was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, he's yes. he's so good. Yeah. yeah, so deadpan and dry, just yeah. like you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So him, like, he actually opened for me in Hue, where right we now. did a show uh, yeah. with uh, Keila Rose Calloway. Shout out to Keila Rose and We Lay. And I really I appreciated that. I mean, because they were like coming at it from from a different angle, you know, and and asking questions that I didn't feel like were were asked enough, and yeah, you know, yeah. questioning identity and questioning you know, white supremacy in the form of like expats, yeah. you know? So I, I really dug that. But yeah, but there was, there was, you know, a lot of hacky stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you enjoy like, so right now stand-up community. So comedy yeah. is your way of communication. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's, where is music now in, in all of this? <laughs> um, I haven't, I mean, I've gone on stage like in coffee shops with a guitar and, and yeah. sang, you know, or, you know, karaoke. <laughs> I think about starting a band. I do have a specific concept for a band yeah. that I kind of want to put together, Would that like I do to want to put together. Uh, I, I'm not, I can't talk about it now. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, but uh, I was at an event with my girlfriend this weekend. It was, the, it was like a restaurant and like food and beverage awards put on by V, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And I ran into this buddy of mine, Dat, who used to, play drums for this band district 105 it was like a hardcore band from here in saigon who i do want to interview for my podcast and i was talking to him about the concept so i might do it i might because i mean i do miss mm. i do miss being on stage i do miss like that you know because comedy is like different it's not it's not as kinetic yeah, you know yeah. it's kind of interesting i wonder like if my body can handle it you know what i mean <laughs> like, just to see. we must try <laughs> yeah i gotta try yeah, it yeah. so yeah i do want to do it again but but I would say that stand-up is, is way more of a direct form of, of communication, you know, because yeah. music is like sort of abstract. You write a song and it means whatever it means to the listener. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. like, oh, well, yeah, I heard that song. I think it's about that. I'm like, wow, it's not about that at all. Whereas mm -hmm. comedy, it's a lot harder to misconstrue. You know? right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And, yeah. and so like if we... And, and, um, sorry, let's go to the teaching part So you because right. it's very important for you too. Mm. So you came to Vietnam to teach in Mitha for one year? Yeah. And then why did you stay? <laughs> and why did you decide to, to continue teaching? Okay, so I taught, yeah, I taught as a part of the Fulbright ETA program. Yeah. I lived in Mitha for a year. During that year, the election happened in the United States. Oh. Yes. That where Donald Trump was elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And up until that point, when people asked me what I was going to do if Donald Trump became elected, I jokingly, I would say stuff like, 
I'm going to live on your couch for four years. I'm going to live with you and your family. I'm going to be your pool boy, whatever, you know? And then when it happened, I was like very much like, wow, I'm really not going back to the United States because whatever's happening there, like the spiritual poverty that exists that would allow that to happen (laughs) is like, I, I'm not down to be with broke people like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about economically. I'm just like the the level of the conversation yeah. is yeah. like you ever you ever have a conversation with somebody and they want to have a debate with you and you're like I will not allow myself to become dumb enough to have this conversation with you, <laughs> which is not which is not a Buddhist perspective. It's something I got to figure out how yeah. to like really have dialogue with anybody. But I was not down. I was not down at that time. Yeah. So yeah. I said, I love, I love that word, uh, spiritual poverty. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right? that's I'm, a good I'm one. I'm stealing this one. Uh, yeah, it's yours. It's yours. Yeah, uh, that was it. it. That was in my Fulbright application, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about the United States, even back then, you know, oh, because shit, before I started yeah. traveling, when I traveled with the band, because I just lived in New York City. Yeah, I lived yeah. in a bubble. New Yorkers live in a bubble. You think it's the whole world? It's not. It's, it's a bubble. Not. When I started traveling around the United, like, wow, that's how people are living. Like there's some really there's some hard places out there, man, where people think still think it's the greatest country in the world, and they are not taken care of or cared about at all right. by the people that they you know want to like build up. So, so when the Trump election happened, I was like, nah, I'm good. So um so teaching at the time was like something that I could do, you know, and it was like, and I had a lot of free time, you know. Eventually, I started to realize that the role is very important. And I have a lot of power, not in the sense of like, oh, I have power, but just, you know, the things that you say to children, like it matters. It is, yeah. Um, you know, the things that you teach them, that is going to, like, you ever like spend time with a baby? Like, and, and just be like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to do anything wrong. Cause this is good. Like, it's like, it could like screw up the, the whole world. I mean, maybe Hitler was just missing a hug or two. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but then, you know, having actual, you know, and I had some like amazing experiences with my students yeah. that, again, I would not be here now if these things hadn't happened. So realizing that and, you know, even just when I was teaching English, like a lot of artists, there's a lot of creators in Saigon yeah, that teach English or teach in some kind of way. And they treat it like it's like this, like, you know what I mean? Like it's this shameful thing. Yeah, yeah. And that is, and that is a shame. Cause if you treat that like a shame, you're going to go into it with a begrudging attitude and the kids are going to suffer. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Therefore the future is going to suffer. And also if you want to be selfish, you're going to suffer, yeah. you know, cause you're not going to like, you're going to go into it. Like, you know, like it's, there's nothing wrong with it. As long as you don't go into it with that attitude, you know? And so yeah. I had this experience where I was teaching this group of teens my favorite class that I've ever taught last year. And they were just so funny and so sometimes compassionate and thoughtful and sometimes just like, like dumb and just like, you know what I mean? Just like, just, you know, just ridiculous. But, you know, I had this real connection with them. You know, also I got, I had, I got so much what we, what we call like a stage time with mm-hmm. them. You know what I mean? Where I was like, in like, just being in front of like where I could do crowd work when you're mm-hmm. a comedian, you just like talk to. And we had this real connection. So then when I got downsized from that job during COVID, like after my my visa had run out, yeah. you know, and I'm like, I don't even know how I'm gonna stay here. And and my job, they were they were kind of really cold about it. 
where they didn't let, they did they told me and then took my classes this class away so I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to my students. Mm. That's so odd. It was really awful, you know. Yeah. You know because I really felt connected to these kids. And then uh and then the the day that the I was supposed to be in the class and I wasn't like 40 minutes or 45 minutes into the class all of a sudden my social media like they like they knew that I had a you know I was a mm-hmm. comedian mm-hmm. and they're hitting me up where are you who is this person <laughs> that must have been hard yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it was also touching you yeah, know because super, yeah. I had so many students that I've taught and yeah. later on they just see you in the hallway and they're like hey Mr. J whatever they don't care yeah. and you know he's like no but I was you know and they were like upset you know and then um I had a meeting with them after the class and I just tried to encourage them just, you know, the thing about being a learner that I learned in university, because the first time I started to go to school, mm-hmm. like I just, if I didn't like my teacher, I was just checked out. I saw him like, true. don't ever let your personal feelings about your professor or teacher get in the way of the information they have to give you. Get the information, leave that. And they were like, and they really listened to me. It was four of them. I'm going to shout them out. It's Janie, Emily, Neil, and Freddie. Shout out to you four. I'm going to yeah. give you a link so you can listen to this. <laughs> and, uh, and they just listened. They were like, okay, yeah. okay. And then a couple of weeks later, as I'm looking for a job, they're like, hey, can we have a video call with you again? I'm like, yeah, sure. This is like during lockdown, you know? And we just talked again. And, and, it was, and I felt like, wow, they really get me. So then I'm interviewing for this job I'm doing now. And interviewing for an English teaching job at a at a international school mm-hmm. and they were like oh yeah there's this uh global perspectives uh position open but you're not qualified for it like I'm not you know I didn't have the degree that I needed because I have a bachelor's degree or whatever you're supposed to have a master's degree but are you interested in that and I'm like and my my major in university <laughs> was global studies so I'm like yeah, yeah that's my shit yeah. you know <laughs> so they're like okay well I'll put your name in the hat I, you know. and then and then I chanted a lot about it. Then when I had my my interview, they were asking me about my experiences. And I told them about this experience with these students. I actually got choked up during the interview. I got a little choked up just now, too. Yeah, you, you, it's so beautiful. I mean, it's very, you can see the level yeah. of care that you, you had for those kids. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, and so then when I, that happened in the interview, the guy was like, the guy doing the interview was like, after I finished, so he was like, Very interesting. He was a German guy. He was like very cold, like kind of seeming. I see him writing something down. Very interesting. Exhibits emotion. I don't understand this, but you know. (laughs) And then, and then I got the job, and I like feel like, like I kind of got the job because of my connection with these. So it's like I put this effort and energy and care into it. The response I got was like by them reaching out to me in their own time. Yeah, yeah, you know how hard it is to get a teenager to talk to you in their own time? Yeah. If you're their teacher, forget <laughs> about it, you know? And and then that filled me with this emotion that ended up getting me the job that I have now. That's helping me. I'm taking a PGCE course for an advanced teaching degree and the job is helping me with that. So I went from not having a job, not having any visa status, mm-hmm. just basically like you're going to have to leave the country being screwed. Wow, you were part of that. Yeah, that must have been stressful. And it was wow. stressful again for five minutes because I went and chanted about oh, it yeah, for an yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. after that, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, 
because I became determined to win exactly where I am. Sometimes we get hit with adversity and then we start like, Mm-hmm. like strategizing or or like you know bargaining like oh well maybe i just should just leave the country and maybe i you know you start like mm-hmm. like going for less than what you want yeah, and i was like that's you know? a mistake we always have to get what we want yes and we can yeah and so i became determined to win right here i don't know how it's going to happen and so so yeah so i got the job things are going well <laughs> right now you know yeah, yeah. so so you love teaching Right I now. do. Yeah. I do. I mean, I don't like the admin part of it, if I'm being honest. <laughs> you know, the administrative uh-huh. stuff. But yeah, but but talking so, to kids about about global studies, especially about global perspectives, like it's not just teaching English. Which is, there's a lot of value in that. But, you know, trying to help students get a sense of themselves and where they are in the world and, uh-huh. you know, why maybe they are the way they are and how they have agency you know yeah, and they yeah. they can affect change in the world you know and how yeah. other people are are that way too yeah, and it's like high yeah. level of compassion really it's mm. it's, it's quite incredible mm. it's, you can also be able some, to understand uh, like you yeah. know because you especially teenage as as you were saying like you have to have a really high level of compassion to be able to like reach them mm. to that place like you know and so they, they they care about what you're saying because they feel probably cared for yes yeah. that's, that's true compassion right there that's it that's it and i mean it's like that not just with teenagers like you know it's like everybody's kind of like that yeah, but yeah, yeah. but when they feel that they they do they do respond because you know because a lot of people just get up there and they're like you know here's the stuff yeah. you know but i got to try to connect them you know, make the material mean something to them and to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like stand-up. Like you got to yeah. meet people where they are in order for it to work. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you're so. teaching stand-up comedy too. Yeah. You, you yeah. have a class of that, like, which I want to join, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah, you should. So yeah, you tell, yeah, you tell me when you start again because yeah. Brian was doing it. And yes. I've had a That's dream you know of Brian. doing stand-up comedy for a very, very long time. Like yeah. More than 15 years now. Yeah. And for me, it was like, because I was an ESL kid and I was like, if one day I can go up, And do stand-up comedy in English, that means my English is good. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I was so insecure that I've never done it. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, you know? It's amazing what you are doing, really, JK. Like Thank with you. uh yeah, spirituality, art, all connected, and then also believing always in the best to happen. And it does. It always yeah. does. There was something that I was trying to find at the beginning of the interview. I was like, oh, there must be something. But just talking to you, I'm like No, there's nothing. I mean, like you're just so you, you know, with all the the stuff that happened to you. Like everything is is quite unique, to be very honest. And I I I know you know that when you tell about your life, you're I like, forget yeah, until somebody <laughs> starts asking me questions. I was like, man, this shit is weird. <laughs> I don't know if I can relate to myself. This yeah, is a yeah, lot yeah. of stuff. I mean, so, because like, yeah. there's so many. I mean, and then you 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 pointed you said a word a few times, which is the, which is the word identity. Mm. It's quite wonderful to see all those changes in identity throughout your very very unique life and i mm. i hope yes. you, you you know that <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, i'm i'm appreciating it more and more yeah. you know i think i can see you being such a, a great mentor for so many wow Thanks. definitely yeah. uh, at some point when music <laughs> comes back into your life i feel like you could be I mean, the wisdom and the the insights that you've gathered throughout this very unique life can really, really help a lot of people. I hope so. Except yeah, the yeah. music I like to play is not commercially viable. At all. Yeah, but <laughs> if anybody it, listens, it'd be like, "Wow, all right." But I'm, I'm sure. I'm, 
<laughs> I'm sure that in Vietnam, I mean, that's why I was asking you at some point, is yeah. like, like there, there, there is an underground scene. There, there is, is there, yeah, yeah. And and, and shout out sure. to all the bands that exist. I'm not, you know, and there's, yeah. there's a good scene here. Once again, shout out to District 105. Yeah. Shout out to Microwave. Uh, shout out to Aki <laughs> and Seven Uppercuts. I hope you guys make it back again. Uh, there's like a, there's a lot of great bands, you yeah. know, that, that exist here. And I would be honored to be a part of that scene, you know, if, yeah, yeah. if that's what's in the cards. You know, you, you don't want to be a producer. And I want to play. Yeah, you want to play. Yeah, play. I'm, I, yeah. I just, I just want the fun. I'm here yeah, for the yeah. fun stuff, man. You know, yeah. I got, I have other things I do. I, I put together shows, like you know, I, yeah. I do comedy shows and you know, and other kinds of events like quiz nights. And you know, I'm going to start having a karaoke night pretty soon. You know, and that's and that's fun and enjoyable. But in terms of music, like. If it's not fun for me, yeah. it's not worth it. Because yeah. music is not a, a money making for sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like the 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 percentage of bands that actually make money of it it's compared crazy. to the, the amount of bands there actually are. Yeah. And those bands actually care about making it. I just want to do what's fun for yeah. me and, and satisfying. I have one last question for you about it's it's more on the spiritual side. But how do you how do you balance you living in a in, in such a big city with all the craziness that happens in big cities with your practice of Buddhism? Just just dedicate yeah. time in the morning and evening to do it. But it's it's more so a personal question because I'm I'm having this because um, I I'm I'm trying to be as spiritual as I can be and mm. from what I understand from the teachings and all those things, it feels like for me at least. I shouldn't be in a big city. Mm, okay. You know, they, I shouldn't yeah. be surrounded by so many people that are so spiritually poor. <laughs> mm. And how do you, do you have that inner dialogue or those doubts sometimes that goes like, mm. fuck, I shouldn't be here. I should be in a mountain. Or, this, this is exactly where you have to be because those people yeah. need you. Yeah. They need your wisdom. They need mm. your compassion, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean teaching them about Buddhism, although it could, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to share the, your practice, whatever it is that gets you there with someone, you know, but, but people, yeah, people, people need compassion, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, I had someone recently, I did an open mic at Indica the other night, and one of the people who goes on stage told me something like really sad that it just happened to him, you know, mm-hmm. and I just finished chanting for like an hour and 15 minutes, <laughs> I was very... Yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, and I, you know, and he was about to do comedy, you know, and I was like, man, and I know how hard it is to go up on stage to do comedy when something bad or tragic has happened. It's hard, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I kind of communicated as much to him, like, just like, wow, you know, and he really felt like understood. And I saw his, his mood like lift, you know, mm-hmm. and at the end of the show, he came up to me and we had some words and stuff, you know? So yeah, this is where you need to be because, you know, the Buddha wasn't, the Buddha didn't sit up on a hill and, and go like, well, good for me. I'm enlightened. Fuck you people. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I got mine, you know? You know? And yeah, yeah. there were forces that wanted him to do that. Just yeah, keep yeah. it to himself. Same thing with Nietzsche and Daishonin, the, the founder of the practice that yeah. I practice. Yeah. You know, they wanted to kill him for, for trying sure. to set people free in, in feudal Japan, for yeah. trying to let people know that they have a Buddha nature. That's dangerous for a hierarchical system. And they tried to kill him many times, you know, but because of his compassion, he realized that that's where he needed to be. You know, it's not something you're supposed to keep to yourself. It's something you're supposed to share, even if it's if it's just a matter of not sharing the practice, but just, you know, being there for people. So you're in the perfect place, the places where there's mm-hmm. the most hardship, the most suffering, that's where you're supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. 
See, I knew you were a great mentor, man. Ah, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. I practiced that. Uh, practiced that. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm having those doubts sometimes where I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm like, fuck, like, all of the, like, the when you, you when you're very spiritual, like, you know, there's all those those forces in society that are very negative sometimes. And I'm like, oh, fuck, do I want to deal with it or not? Yeah. But after what you said, I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, that's why you Foot practice uh, mindfulness. You cannot practice mindfulness if this everything is peaceful. <laughs> yeah. yeah what is what you said? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where is the growth? When I first started yeah, practicing yeah. Buddhism, when I first started chanting, I just got, I'll make it quick too. I just got benefit after benefit. And everything was like, oh, man, my life is just going to be cool from now on yeah. and then i started hitting my karma i had karma attacks <laughs> you know like the things that were in my life that i just wasn't dealing with you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and the only way you grow is if you meet these challenges if you, mm-hmm. you're out there meeting these people that are challenging you and maybe mean to you you know that's the way yeah. that's the way that you you grow you can't grow any other way otherwise you're just like it's like a fuzzy feeling uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? yeah. i see yeah i think uh, so so inspiring yeah Cheers. i'm inspired yeah. really thank yeah. you so awesome. much for joining us for, for this conversation yeah. I, I, i feel inspired i feel yeah nice feel me. if uh, others would sit here like they would feel the vibe of uh i don't know how to describe this vibe but like it's really awesome you you have that presence that through i think through music comedy and just being you that compassionate side that transforms energy wow mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. i, so. I use big so. words today i don't know yeah, why that's really good that's really <laughs> good <laughs> yeah and, and, and i mean i appreciate you two for having that that consciousness and, and ask because i've not been asked these kinds of questions really on yeah. a pad, podcast before a mm-hmm. little bit you know i like sometimes i'll go into a podcast with like a specific intention like mm-hmm. i want to talk about buddhism but you know, most of the time they'd be like, wow, huh, that's cool, man. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's, you know, there's no way to like really build upon that. And so obviously you two are very thoughtful. And so I appreciate you oh, even you. going there with me. So yeah. No, thanks. Cheers. I'm, I'm gonna, I, there's so many things that I have to discover after this podcast. So like, <laughs> to listen to your music. I, I'm really interested to, to look at the Nishrin Buddhism thing and, and the chanting. So okay, yeah. I've been doing breath work a lot and I feel like I need something more vocal. I'd love so, to share it with you. Yeah? Yeah. Perfect. For sure. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, JK. Thank you, too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Vietnam. If you like this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Also by sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.